And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is David Simon. And David, it's an honor to have you on with us. Glad to be here. Good morning. Now, you're a senior fellow at the Washington-based Committee to Unleash Prosperity, as well as a lawyer in Chicago. So it sounds like you're a pretty busy guy. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. (laughs) You recently wrote an article for the American Spectator, and it was dealing with how to cut oil and gas prices, how to reduce big oil profits, in fact, and slash the Russian oil earnings. It was kind of an interesting mix of elements that you were writing about. Can you share with us, uh, just to get us started, what were you talking about there in that Spectator article? The goal of this article was to try to make a point that um, only parts of here and there are getting made elsewhere, and that is that the key to doing all four of these things, cutting the price of oil, cutting the price of gasoline, and for those who are worried about how much money big oil companies are making, getting their profits down, and for those, which is I think a hope, hopefully a lot of us, who would like to slash Vladimir Putin's war chest for the horrible things he's doing in Ukraine, cutting the amount of money he's getting from selling oil. The key to doing all those things is one big, big thing, and that is for the Biden uh, administration's uh, regulatory uh, attack, assault, you might call it, on the American oil industry and the American natural gas industry, to, for those to stop and reverse and to there and to do everything we can to allow American oil companies, for example, or to allow companies in the United States to produce as much oil as they, as they want to, um, which will, uh, as happened in the second half of 2018 and all of 2019, they produced more, the price fell. When the price of oil falls, all four of those things happen. Obviously, the price of oil falls, the price of oil goes down. That drives down the price of gas. It also happens that when the price of oil is lower, big oil companies make less money. And even more than trying to prevent Putin from selling oil, which doesn't work very well because you can sell it to China and India and other places, is if you cut the price back to where it was, uh, for example, in 2018, 2019, second half of 2018 uh, and all of 2019, when it was down around, say, uh, $50, $60, $65 a barrel, $70 a barrel, instead of $100 a barrel, you dramatically, you very dramatically cut the amount of money that Putin is taking in from selling oil. Yes. Yeah, it's a wonderful point that you make, and it reminds me how that in the real world, things are always interrelated. Um, You know, some people love their electric car, and that's fine. You can have an electric car, as long as you realize where does that energy actually come from. And uh, a very large percentage of electric energy is created um, by the turbines, which are fired with fuel, uh, whether it be uh, fuel oil or natural gas. And I think the number is like 60 70% comes from um, 
hydrocarbons in America, something like that. You know, don't quote me, but it's close to that. And I think when people, well-meaning, you know, get in their electric Tesla car, (laughs) turn the key on and it comes on right away, um, they don't realize that, hey, yeah, I got an electric car, but actually most of this energy came from... Uh, hydrocarbons. And I think that that is just one example of how things are so interrelated. Now, you've mentioned the prices of gasoline, and I'm thinking of, about the prices at the pump. To me, at filling my you know tank with gas, they have gone through the roof lately. You are, you are so right about all this. First, let's go back to the first thing you said, which is very important and oh so right about everything being interrelated and about electric cars. Um, I used to do some work uh, for, uh, some electric utili- for an electric utility. And um, one of the things that people who represent and people in, in the electricity business uh, say is they think of, in many cases, they refer to electric cars as coal power cars because yes. so much of, it, if you increase the amount of electricity you need, one of the places we get it in the United States, but much more so, especially in places like China, where they are building more and more coal-fired plants, yes. is from coal. And one of the reasons why the United States, in the last couple of decades, has managed to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions is we've shifted largely away from coal to cheaper natural gas, which is much, much cleaner and produces much, much less emissions. But I'm not worried about, about the temperature getting warmer. I actually think that would be better. But coal, but what I am worried about is coal produces an enormous amount of pollution that causes all kinds of disease, black lung and um, lung cancer and things like that. Natural gas does not. And the more we use electric cars, the more we push electric cars, especially in places like China, but also the United States, the more coal will get used and the dirtier and and the more unhealthy our environment will become. Also, um, to make electric cars um, and the batteries especially, we need all kinds of minerals, rare earth minerals and other minerals, many of which we're currently getting from China because we don't want to mine them in many cases in the United States because it's incredibly dirty to do. They're also incredibly expensive. And the more we push for them, those, those prices go up. So electric cars at the moment in many cases are, are a very bad deal for the environment. Now... Going to gas prices, yes, they're out of sight. And they are out of sight because uh, uh, the Biden administration wanted them to be. The Biden administration's clearly stated intent from during the campaign and when it came into office was they wanted to drive gas prices higher so that people would shift to electric cars. This was their plan, and they got it even more than they wanted, I think, or even more than they expected or even with even more blowback than they, than they expected. They have done everything they can in a whole variety of ways, which I've discussed in my article and would be happy to talk about here, uh, to try to squeeze and limit uh, oil and gas production. And what that does is that, that raises the price of oil, which raises the price of gasoline through the roof. Now, uh, Russia's war in Ukraine has added a little bit more to that, but they were already through the roof. Um, oh, yeah. Before that happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well before that. Um, it's important for people to realize the uh, cause and effect 
on the the gas prices on other things like transportation costs, whether it's gas or diesel, um, or just the average guy that's out, he's got a landscaping business, and he's got to fill that truck, he's got to fill his machine, and um, we're, this is close to home because we have a son who's in the landscaping business, and uh, his prices have gone through the roof. In order to get jobs done, he then you know, so he can feed his family. He's got to pass those costs on to the customer. People don't realize that. They don't make that equation. Again, you're exactly right, and the point is even broader. Directly with gas prices, absolutely. It's not just it's not just those of us driving around to get from here to there. It's every business that has that has um, gasoline powered cars to move things. Um, it, it's it's uh, everything that uses gas in business. But beyond that, it's also diesel fuel, which drives up trucking prices. Um, It is jet fuel, which drives up airline costs and therefore airline prices. And beyond that, petroleum is used to make plastic and lots and lots of other things. Uh, There's a famous um, uh, uh, thing that went viral on the Internet a couple of years ago about how Patagonia vests, in part, are made using petroleum. Patagonia didn't want to make vests for a small oil company because they're they're against oil oil uh, production. They were embarrassed to learn from the CEO of that little company that their vests are made with petroleum. <laughs> computers, computers with plastic in them, iPhones with plastic in them, all those made with gasoline, made with uh, petroleum products. The higher oil prices go, those prices, the, all the production of all, all those things gets more expensive. It is everywhere, and uh, natural gas uh, powers many of our factories uh, and utilities, drives up electricity prices, not just at home, but for for manufacturing plants. There are plants in Europe where the price of of, uh, natural gas has gotten so high, there are plants in Europe that have had to shut down because they can't can't afford the, the gas. They have to pay to power the plant. That throws people out of work. That means less production of all kinds of things we need. It is an incredibly pervasive part uh, of our economy. Energy is often known um, in the economics profession as the master resource because it pushes so many uh, other categories of, of, uh, of the economy. Yeah. You mentioned something, I hope our listeners caught it, and that was that the Biden administration wanted these gas prices to be out of sight so that they could push the electric cars. And um, that's an important point. You know, as I'm at my pump pumping, I'm thinking, boy, you couldn't design this better if you wanted to. And I realized, wait a minute, actually, they did want this to happen because they have this, this... um, love for electric vehicles, not realizing the cause and effect and where the ener- energy actually comes from. You know, I'm, I'm here in this little studio. It's a very humble little studio. I'm looking around, and and to my left, I've got, you know, a couple of um, special pieces of equipment, audio over IP. They got plastic. Then I look at the mixer board, and I touch it. I realize, oh, that's got more plastic. And here's the keyboard, more plastic. Uh, here's here's the indicator for the weather station. Here's another computer screen. And you know what? Every Almost every square inch uh, of what we have here in the studio is dependent upon oil. I, and and that was a great point that you made that these plastics 
come from the oil. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, I I got to indicate also, be very honest, uh, I've, I've thought about this and read about it. Um, CO2, I know it's a greenhouse gas and all that. It's my, and I can change this, it's my feeling, however, that human-caused CO2 is not the main control lever of global warming slash climate change. And I think we've got even some of our basic assumptions out of kilter that's driving policy, and we need to actually go back to real science. You are, you're absolutely right. I actually wrote a, another article uh, a few weeks ago about exactly this point. Um, uh, there are perhaps uh, the best books ever written on this topic came out recently by a man named Stephen Koonin. He's, a, he's got a Ph.D. in physics from Caltech. He now teaches at uh, NYU, New York University. Um, in, the Biden, in, excuse me, in the Obama administration, he was essentially the chief scientist in the Energy Department. Uh, he was, I think it was undersecretary for science in the Energy Department. This was, his job was to, was to focus on exactly these questions. He's written a book, uh, the short part of the title is called Unsettled. And basically, he, he explains for us lay people how, uh, how climate works um, and the models that they've tried to develop and how it is essentially impossible to develop a model that will predict um, where temperatures are going. The models yes. they have so far, when you, when, you, when you throw in the data and you see they can't even predict uh, the temperatures that have already happened over the last <laughs> hundred years. They're, they're way off. They're, they're worthless. Um, and the point he makes, one of the points he makes is exactly what you made. Um, man's role in raising temperatures recently, and temperatures throughout, throughout world history have gone up and down and up and down. And over the last hundred years, they're up about a little over one degree centigrade, a um, little less than two degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and man has had some, some role in that, uh, but it's a tiny, tiny role. There are all kinds of periods where the temperature in, over the last 100 years has been going down. In fact, many of the same people who in recent decades have been most vocal in their, in their doomsday claims about global warming in the 1970s were making the same kinds of doomsday claims about global cooling um, because, because we had some years for a while where the Earth's temperature was going down. And many of those people felt were so concerned that that, that was a problem, and yet things turned out. So the, the temperatures have swung up and down and up and down. Gradually, over the last 100 years in particular, they've gone up overall about, as I said, about one degree centigrade. Now, um, that, what is very, very, very important and not well known about this or ignored by many people is, number one, there have been uh, three, in particular, three huge worldwide studies of deaths all over the world, tens of millions of people from Brazil and China and the United States and all kinds of places, all over the world by scientists all over the world who are just looking at what causes those deaths. And then they look at, of those deaths, which ones were attributed to warmer or colder temperatures, moderately warmer or colder temperatures in most cases, not the extremes, but but moderately, a few degrees warmer, a few degrees colder. And what they found is that that cold kills overwhelmingly more people than heat. Mm. So as the temperature warms, we save 
hundreds of thousands, we save hundreds of thousands of millions of lives. Um, one environmental sti- uh, statistician named Bjorn Lomborg um, wrote recently, uh, based on this kind of data, that we're saving about 166,000 uh, lives around the world right now as the temperature is rising. So in perhaps, I think, the most important measure, the warming planet is actually a better planet. It's, we are lucky. We don't know how long this warming will last, but as long as it does, we are better off in that way. It also in, improves agriculture. Uh, it, improve, it helps every kind of it helps plants grow. Um, uh, a uh, very prominent English writer, a polymath named Matthew Ridley, has written how, about the greening of the planet, how the warming, the warming of the world is, is improved agricultural yields, more leaves on trees, uh, more plants, all those kinds of things. Um, it also has not meant, contrary to what you hear about um, more natural disaster deaths. Natural disaster deaths over the last 100 years, this is incredibly, incredibly amazing, I think. Natural disaster deaths uh, of people around the world, the number of people who have died has gone down about 90%, even while the population has gone up from about 1 billion to about 8 billion, mm-hmm. uh, uh, about 2 billion to about 8 billion. So as the population has quadrupled, the number of people dying of natural disaster, from natural disasters has gone down about 90%. Sure. There are, and the evidence is very powerful. Also, when you look at the numbers, we are not having more forest fires. If anything, we have less acreages being burned for fires in the United States and around the world. Rivers are not flooding more. Um, hurricanes are not increasing. The EPA just came out with a report last year saying there's no connection. There's been no connection so far between rising temperatures and the number of hurricanes. Um, all these things that that uh, are spun in the in in the media about disasters coming uh, aren't simply not true. They're not borne out by the facts. No, no. Excellent points. Uh, today we're talking with David M. Simon, senior fellow at the Washington-based Committee to Unleash Prosperity, also a lawyer in Chicago. Um, you mentioned something early on, and that was the Keystone XL pipeline. And uh, I noticed, uh, you know, we all have memories, maybe not so good anymore, but um, the Biden administration shut that thing down. It was a wonderful project. I'm not sure people understand the efficiency of a pipeline. And it's just a simple thought experiment. You just picture a truck, let's say, it's full of some kind of fuel, and it's traveling from point A to point B. And then uh, the, the, the truck uh, disposes its fuel into another container, and then he travels back, possibly empty. Um, I'm sure they'd like to fill it up and carry something else, but hey, we're talking fuel here. So it goes back and fills up again and then takes another trip. Compare that to a pipeline. A pipeline, the fuel enters at point A, flows to point B, there's no return trip. So that's very efficient. Not only saves money, it actually saves pollution. I'm not talking about any concern about CO2, just normal pollution, you know, that comes from any kind of an exhaust pipe. And so I'm a, I, I really have grown to appreciate pipelines. You're, you're again, 100% completely right. And even Jennifer Granholm, our Secretary of Energy, has acknowledged that pipelines are the most efficient, cleanest, best way to transport oil and gas. No question about it. Just absolutely no question about it. Um, they are cheaper. They're cleaner. Um, they pollute far less. 
they have an extremely good safety record. Um, uh, they are the best thing we can do. We, it's been pointed out in, in recent weeks um, that uh, we could have transported more oil from Canada, uh, a country that we like, a country that is a free country, a country that's a democracy, a country that has a lot in common with the United States. We could transport more oil from Canada to the United States for use than we were importing from Russia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was something that Joe Biden did on day one of his administration. One of the first things he did was to stop the construction again of that vital pipeline. And they've gone after other pipelines as well. And they even they even have made it difficult to get permits to build the, the much smaller pipeline that oil companies need from, from their wells to storage tanks, to pipelines, to where they can put the oil into into trucks, et cetera. They, they have done everything they can uh, to stop pipelines of all kinds. You know, uh, there's another thing here that, that's bothered me as I've thought about it, and today we're talking with David Simon. Um, federal land and, and the federal government um, acquiring land, uh, you never know who's going to be in charge. And if you have a, a good administration and they allow... Um, selling of oil from federal land and gas leases, offshore leases, and and that sort of thing. That's fine, and that can help us a, as a nation. But then you get a new uh, <laughs> a new king <laughs> in the land, and he or she says, "Oh no, you can't do any of that." You know, it kind of makes me conclude I'm not so sure I like the federal government buying up a lot of land. Oh, oh, so true. In fact, I think it was back in the 70s, there was something known as the Sagebrush Rebellion. Um, uh, people out west especially uh, had a lot of gripes, um, and still do, um, but at that time agitating a lot about it, a lot of gripes uh, against uh, how the federal government would manage land, grazing rights, and all kinds of other things. And there, from time to time out in Oregon, especially in recent years, there have been, there's actually been violence about it. Yes. Uh, 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 it, it's a, it can be a very sore spot. Um, and just this past Friday, uh, it was uh, uh, several people noted that it was done um, on uh, Good Friday in the afternoon, also the evening the Passover was going to start, uh, when uh, a lot of the media was, was focused elsewhere yes. on the fact that for the first time the Biden administration is going to schedule some, some uh, uh, sales of, of leases on federal land. But they're only going to do... They're only going to lease twenty percent of the of the amount that has originally been planned um, uh, to be leased. So they're cutting that by eighty percent, and they're going to charge a royalty rate that's fifty percent higher than it was. They're raising the royalty rate from twelve and a half percent to eighteen point seven five percent. So uh. while so while their uh, willingness to to finally lease some some federal land uh, to sell some federal leases uh, is a small step. It's a step in the right direction. It's a very, very small step. Yes. Oh, that's a good point. My wife had mentioned something about that to me. Uh, you know, on the surface, it sounds like, oh, boy, he's opened it up. Oh, no. No, it's got all kinds of restrictions that shouldn't be there. Hey, uh, we're just about out of time. If someone would like to read more, today our guest is David Simon. Uh, he's a fellow at the Washington-based Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Uh, where would they go to read more, uh, David? Uh, I suggest I have a, all my articles are on my website. Go to www.d as in David, m as in Mary, s as in Simon, writings, 
uh, with the S on the end, dot com, uh, and you'll see my bio one page. Click on the writing page, and all my articles are there. The most recent one is the one we've been talking about today, about oil prices. The one immediately below that one, in fact, is a is an article about uh, how uh, uh, climate change is not what Biden refers to as an ex- existential threat. In fact, no. it's actually beneficial. That's the next one. You'll find all my articles there. Yes. You know, I noticed um, uh, uh, something here. I, I just looked quickly at your website, and I noticed a love coming through, and it's a love for your father. Um, in the last minute remaining, tell us really quickly about your father and how he influenced your life. Uh, you're exactly right. Um, my father was a, was a very prominent economist. Uh, he is most famous for uh, a book called The Ultimate Resource, and then the, the, the new version of it called The Ultimate Resource 2, which came out in the mid-'90s, which shows that people are the ultimate resource. Um, people uh, are key to more people. Is more, the, great, the bigger our population, the, the richer, healthier uh, lives we will all lead. Yes. People, more people with freedom means greater prosperity for everybody means healthier, uh, safer, uh, better lives for all of us. Um, because people have, if not, people aren't just mouths, more importantly, not only do they have hands to work, but they have brains to invent solutions. Yes. More people in the short run means, means problems, but those problems lead us to solutions that make us better off than we were before the problem happened. That is my father's biggest legacy. He also, by the way, is the man who invented the system that solved airline overbooking, by which instead of the airlines as they did in the 1970s, going around and picking people they thought wouldn't complain about having to take a different flight, people in the Army, old people, the people they thought wouldn't complain, having to pay them a lot of money, when there are people who would take a lot less, he, we have created the perfect match by having a little auction. Nobody, Almost nobody has to get off a plane or not take a flight who doesn't want to, and almost everybody who does get get uh, moved to the next flight is happy because they're getting money or gift certificates or, or, or something else. Well, it's brilliant, and I totally agree with your father's legacy there and the point that he was making, that people are so precious, and you could say they're our greatest resource. Uh, David M. Simon, my friend, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.